Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back in better than ever, we roll along here. Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't miss Chris the Mad Dog Russo on a half hour on the Goodyear Hotline. We were talking last night when Garrett Cole just seemed all of a sudden to lose the ability to answer a question, a very simple, direct yes or no question. We thought, whose perspective on this do we want to hear? We thought of Chris Russo, so we'll have him jump in here in a couple of minutes. Uh, and I look forward to that. Some stuff on the college football playoff change is on the way. We've done a lot of basketball today. And Hembo came across a very interesting number. So we mentioned that Donovan Mitchell has scored 490 points in his last 15 playoff games. Only LeBron James and Kevin Durant, amongst active players, had ever scored, have ever scored, that many points in a 15-game stretch. But then you looked right at me and you said, what did Michael Jeffrey Jordan once do? Michael Jordan once scored 593 points in a 15-game span in the playoffs uh, from 1985 overlapping to 1988. It's, it's insane. Oh. So what is that, 39 and change. 39. Almost 40. He averaged 39 points a game for a 15-game stretch in the playoffs. <laughs> it's just insane. But that's, that's one of the, the – to me, the big topics come out of yesterday in the NBA, and I'll just do these quickly because we've been on it all morning long. But for those of you who are just jumping in, is Donovan Mitchell right now good enough to be the best player on a championship team? Like, that's a unique designation in the sport. You know, that's reserved generally for the LeBrons and the KDs and the Kawhis and the Steph Currys. Is Donovan Mitchell ready to be that? And the answer is, I guess we're going to find out. Because he's the best player on the best team. And they have a one nothing lead in this series against the Clippers. Whoever comes out of that series, I think, is going to be favored against Phoenix or Denver. So I think you're look- if he wins this series, and he's up one zip, I think you're looking at a very good chance he's in the final. Now, if they play the Nets, I- I'm not going to give... I'm not holding it against anyone that they didn't win that because this net team just might be unstoppable. Um, But generally speaking, that to me is the big question is we know Donovan Mitchell is really good, but what level of good are we talking about? Like he could ascend to a whole other level of good. Candidly, maybe he already has. And the world just has been a little slow to pay attention. I mean, has there been a player? He's six foot one. He's listed at six foot one. How many players are that proficient scoring the basketball at that height ever with that kind of efficiency. How tall was Iverson? Uh, 5'11", 6 foot, listed at 6 foot. He didn't have the efficiency. Not at all. It's a whole different level. Efficiency, it's just not a word that was used in Allen Iverson's era. So I don't hold that against him, but that's who comes to mind when you just think Mm -hmm. about scoring. The games are not that similar. I mean, I love Donovan Mitchell, and and we'll see. We're going to find out. Maybe he is that good. And then the other story is Joel Embiid. Couldn't be more opposite. The Joel Embiid, the the back-to-the-basket, powerful center. I mean, when you you watch him, he is bullying Clint Capella. Clint Capella, who himself is a big guy and, you know, a defensive post presence. That's his lot in life is to be a rim protector and, and, you know, to dive for alley-oops. But, I mean, Embiid, when he gets that bulk going, he's just knocking people around down there. I love it. I mean, frankly, as one who I miss it, we haven't seen that in the sport in a long time. I know Jokic is the center who just won MVP, but the center who's playing like a center is Embiid. Yeah, he'll hoist up a three every now and again because he feels like it. But by and large, he's he is using his size to his advantage. And that's sort of a lost art 
in the game of basketball now. So I like it. Very much so. And when you, you mentioned this earlier, so I looked it up. We have a, a team at ESPN that tracks every single play in the playoffs and has a designation for each play type, one of them being a post-up. Greeny, I, I didn't count the number of games that have been played so far, but in total in the NBA playoffs so far this year, there have been a total of 128 baskets scored on post-ups. 128 in a round and... No, Around and change in the playoffs is a very small number. That's a, I mean, no one's doing it. 128 anymore. baskets in all of the series so far. And that used to be the staple of the game of basketball. Now, that's, not, that's irrelevant. If you're, if you're a younger fan right now, what the hell do you care what the game used to be? I get it. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And Embiid may be sending us back the pendulum a little bit in the direction of, well, let's try and do it that way. And we'll see. I continue to believe they have a much better chance of beating the Nets than the Hawks do. I know the Hawks are everybody's darling, and they're terrific, and Trey Young is terrific. But at the end of the day, the Hawks are they're just not nearly as good. The Hawks are more talented than we thought, but they don't have that level of talent, and they can't change the game against the Nets the way you need to. The Sixers might just be able to change it with their physicality. They're so big. Every one of them is so big, and especially Embiid, but not limited to Embiid. Maybe that's the one thing that kind of shifts it. Yeah, the Hawks would have no chance of playing any defense against Brooklyn. The Philly at least would have a fighter's chance because they have four or five guys who can play defense. It's just a matter of how many shots the Nets can make because so, we just know they're such a good team as far as shot making. We'll see if that's what winds up happening. All right, Greeny with you presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. I'll just take a moment. Again, we have a, a million things coming in this hour, but I will just take a moment to mention what this week has been for me and is for me and my family. It's an incredibly special time. Like, um, unbelievably emotional. It's been, it's been a, I don't really know what words to use to describe it, but my son is graduating from high school tomorrow and, you know, it's the younger of our two children. So this is empty nesting for us. Our kids both went to the same school and it's a K through 12 school. So we have been parents at this school for 15 years. Tomorrow is our last day of, of, out of 15 years. And it's been a very special place for our family. But most importantly, I, you know, the, the, the degree of pride that I feel, you know, watching my son, as, as I'm sure all parents can relate to, um, I don't have words for that. Like, I, I'm, I'm not nearly eloquent enough a person to be able to capture in words all the different ways that I feel. And yesterday was, um, they have a thing called Class Day where um, the entire high school gets together and they have a bunch of different speakers. They give out a bunch of awards and whatever it was. And the day was capped by my son giving a speech because he was the president of the senior class. So this was like an hour and a half day in which Stevie got up and made the last speech. And I will tell you that I was infinitely more nervous for that than I was at any other time I've ever, at any time I've gotten up to speak anywhere, including the first time I was on the David Letterman show to any other place. Um, And he, he just, he's, it doesn't matter that he did it well. It was the fact that he got up there and just had so much confidence and poise in doing it. You know, and um, he's, he's like looking into a 35-year-old mirror. I posted this nice picture, and people are pointing out how much he looks like me. He looks like a hand, much handsomer, much younger version of me. And I always joke that he's like looking at a 35-year-old mirror when I look at him. But, but anyway, I, I won't get too much into that because I'm sure all – like this is graduation season, so I know a lot of people are probably feeling the way I do. Um, but for his mother and me, it's just, it's just an incredibly emotional time. 
Uh, our daughter Nikki is coming home from college today uh, to to be there for the graduation tomorrow and whatnot. So it's 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 just a great week. I won't be here tomorrow. That's the reason why, because his graduation is tomorrow morning, and I will be very proudly seated in the front row crying like a small child. Um, but I thought in honor of that that I would tell because when I anytime I post a picture of my kids, people start remembering, and I enjoy reading that stuff. They will remember things that I, stories that I've told about them over the years. I mean, I'm Mike and Mike, we talked about our kids forever. My daughter Nikki was born the year we launched Mike and Mike. Stephen was born two years later in 2002. So I'll tell you a very quick story. Just going to sit back and have a little story time. Tell me a story. This is the most famous one. Some of you already know it, obviously, and you were reminding me of it yesterday. But the date was April 7th, 2007. Stevie's four and a half years old, and I took him to his first ever baseball game. The Yankees were playing the Orioles in the Bronx. I called Michael Kay. He helped me get some nice tickets. And we went to the game, Stevie and me and my parents. So the four of us are at the game. It's April, freezing. I mean, freezing. Could not have been more freezing. So we're sitting there. We're in very nice. Again, Michael Kay gets us the seats. So we're in very nice seats. But, I mean, it is cold. But Stevie's having a good time. He's got an ice cream, and he's got the hot dog, and he loves the Yankees. And in particular, he loves Alex Rodriguez. His favorite player is A-Rod. So the game is going on, and the Yankees are getting killed, just killed. And it's freezing. And I turned to him, and about the sometime in the sixth inning, and I said, you know, Stephen, if, if at any point during the day you decide you want to go home, we can go home whenever you'd like. And he says to me, and I'll never forget, I can never forget the look on his face. He says, let's go home when the game is over. So I said, okay. So another 20 minutes go by. It's the seventh inning stretch. Everybody stands up. And I looked at my four-year-old son and I said, Stephen, the game is over. <laughs> and we leave. And we like walk out of the ballpark. The Yankees again are getting obliterated by the Orioles in this game. We get to the car. We're driving back to our house in Connecticut. I put the game on the radio. Alex Rodriguez hits a walk-off grand slam. The Yankees come back to win. A-Rod hits a walk-off grand slam. And I turn to look behind me. Stevie's in the back seat in the car seat, and he's out cold. Fast asleep, out cold, so does not realize he's not listening to the radio. I'm not sure he would, have, he would have registered what was going on on the radio, even if he had been awake. Out cold, like, you know, pacifier, like, like hanging out of the mouth, like, ah, oh, just out. The way only a four-year-old can be asleep in a car, head leaning back. And so I came in on Monday morning, and I told that story on the air, and I made everyone listening make me a promise. Whatever you do, don't say anything to Stephen if you see him. And it was not until, I don't know when he found out this happened, but it was in the Mike and Mike book in 2010. So at minimum, like three years later, he finally found out what happened. And now we laugh about it. But his first ever baseball game, I lied to him. We left in the seventh inning stretch. And his favorite, he missed his favorite player hitting a walk-off grand slam to win the game. That is a true story about my son, Stephen, who tomorrow will graduate from high school. Uh, We'll take a quick break. Chris Russo will join us coming up. Stick around. Greeny on ESPN Radio.
Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's demon time on prize picks where you can now win up to 100 times your money that's right 100, 100 times, times your money, times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make PrizePix the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepix.com Greenberg and use code Greenberg for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepix.com Greenberg, code Greenberg for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Greeny, the podcast. This is Greeny coming to you live from above the Heineken River deck at Pier 17. Chris, Mad Dog Russo live in a little less than 15 minutes. We will talk about this, the new scandal, the new controversy in Major League Baseball and the impact that it's having on the game and where it goes from here. We'll talk about the Nets and a whole lot more. You never know where he's liable to go. In the meantime, the scoop. College football's playoff is about to expand. It's going to happen. We had Heather Dinich on the TV show this morning. She had the story yesterday, and I won't get into all of the details, but the bottom line of it is one meeting is going to happen that's going to beget another meeting, which is going to beget another meeting, which ultimately is going to beget a system in which far more than four teams wind up making the college football playoff. It might be eight. It might be 10. It might be 12. I have very mixed feelings on this. Very, very mixed feelings. My first and foremost feeling is that asking these unpaid people to play all these extra games that that would create in the interest of the generation of revenue they will not receive is just inherently unfair. I have felt that way forever. I was actually thinking about this the other day. The very first time I ever got a chance to host a talk show on the radio was in the fall of 1992, we had launched the the All Sports Radio Station in Chicago, and I was a behind-the-scenes person, and I worked my way up into getting to do some reporting, and one day, like, they had me fill in on the talk show on a weekend, you know, in the evening. And I filled in hosting a show, and this was one of the things I talked about then. So this is 29 years ago, I was talking about how unfair it is that college athletes don't get paid. And so so that's been, and, and obviously I was hardly breaking new ground with that. And we are on the cusp, I think, of a time where the system is going to change substantially, but not in the next 15 minutes. So that's my first thought. But let's put that to the side. Let's not deal in that, because that just changes the topic. If we want the topic to be, 
do we think it is just good or bad for those of us who are fans of the sport and enjoy watching it for more teams to be involved in the playoff at the end? I have very mixed feelings even on that. Here's where I'm worried about it. What makes college football so great is the extraordinary importance of regular season games, which is to say that, and I don't have a list in front of me of what they are, but I promise you there are games on the schedule this year in August that will be playoff games, that are basically playoff games, that the winner is still in and the loser is out with a chance to win it all. And that, from a fan's perspective, every single week is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Almost every single week in college football, you're getting one game that has championship-level importance. And that's really all I need. I'm not a person who is going to sit and watch nine college games on a Saturday. I'm not. I'm going to watch Northwestern's game, and I'll watch the one or two other games that you can't miss, that have everything at stake. The flip side of that, the problem with that, is those are really the only games that matter anymore which is to say it creates a system where so many of the games are comparatively meaningless, which is to say I'm just, I'm just going to throw a name out there, which will make everyone there mad at me, but whatever. I'm just going to use this. If you're Auburn and you're a fan of Auburn, or if you're a super hardcore fan of Auburn, you're going to watch their games anyway. But generally speaking, once Auburn loses its second game, none of the rest of their games really matter. Like they can play spoiler but they don't matter, and I'm not singling out Auburn. That's true of literally every single team whose objective is to try and win a championship. And if we're going to limit the number of teams whose objective is to win a championship to seven or eight teams, well, then you're talking about hundreds of irrelevant games every year. So that sort of flies in the face of my argument that limiting it to four makes the games more important. So I'm walking that line, and Hembo, I'm turning to you because I'm curious to get your perspective between I don't want to water down the meaning of these really big regular season games, but I also do recognize that we are talking about a system where 50 games are being played per weekend and only two of them really matter. That's a problem, too. Which way works better? I think that should they expand, which, like you said, is probably inevitable, it would greatly increase the drama in the regular season. Like you said, because there's only four teams now, there are a select group of games that matter disproportionately. Like there are de facto playoff games. But then in relation to the playoffs, almost no other games do matter. And in my opinion, if you had the number 11 team playing the number 16 team in the country in week 10, both with two losses, that's also a de facto playoff game, and you're going to get way more of those. No, those might not be the cream of the crop, top, top, top teams in the country, but it will uh, incentivize a lot more teams to go f- to sort of chase forward in that regard that just don't have that chance now. And given how watered down bowl games have become, I think there's, there's a lot of value in that, especially late in the season. One of the reasons that they'll do it, because everything they do, they do for their own re- reasons beyond the money involved, mm-hmm. is that more and more college football players are going to start not playing. They will follow the Nick Bosa mo- model, which or, or, well, that's a bad example because this team did wind up making the playoff. But if you're a star player and you've played five games and your team doesn't have a chance to make the playoff and you're, generally speaking, solidified into Mm -hmm. where you're going to get drafted, well, every single game you play, which are basically glorified exhibitions now, you're you're running the risk of a serious injury. 
So we saw a lot of players last year because of COVID opt out as the mm-hmm. season was going on. I, as I was going through the draft, you know, getting ready to do the draft, all these players, how many of them played six games and then opted out, played seven games and then opted out. That could become the norm. Mm. And I think the people who run the sport recognize that. If all of a sudden, instead of five teams by that point or six teams have a chance to make it, 25 teams have a chance to make it with five weeks left, far fewer players are going to drop out. Oh, yeah. They'll probably play with a chance to go to the championship. And there's also some, I think, nationwide fatigue because you're seeing the same team seemingly every year. Right. And Booger said today something on the TV show that I disagree with. He said, we're talking about this every single week in terms of who should be in and who should be out. I don't see why that still wouldn't happen with expansion. Like, Greeny, every single year in March, we're arguing about whether Syracuse is the 35th best at-large team in basketball when most people haven't even seen them play. Right. If Auburn's the number 11 team in the country and you're arguing between Auburn and Northwestern as to who should be the last team to get in the playoffs, that's still way, that's still super interesting. Like, you're still getting that. And in that case, the answer is Northwestern. (laughs) Chris Mad Dog Russo live next on ESPN Radio. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu. Greeny, the podcast. With you on ESPN Radio, we stream on ESPN Plus. The one and only Chris Mad Dog Russo live in 30 seconds with his perspective on baseball's newest scandal. But we'll spend those 30 seconds reminding you on behalf of California Almonds, you want to be your best, whether your best means being the best bingo player in the office or the best volleyball player on the planet. And to do that, you're going to need some help. Your teammate to tackle anything and everything. A handful of almonds have six grams of plant-based protein and are an excellent source of vitamin E and magnesium. It's the snack you need to keep your head in the game and your body energized. So whether you're going for the gold or another round of bingo, refuel with almonds, California almonds, own your day every day. And with that in mind, it is my delight to welcome Chris Mad Dog Russo back to the program here on ESPN Radio. Hello, Chris. Michael, good to, uh, good to be back, big guy. How you doing today, okay? I, I'm doing great, thank you. And, you know, so yesterday we were watching Garrett Cole's explanation or however one might describe what he said in response to this new controversy about the sticky substance on his finger. And we thought, whose reaction to this are we most interested in hearing? And you were the first name that came to mind. So let me play it for those who haven't heard it. It was the answer to a very direct question. Garrett Cole, star pitcher on the Yankees, asked, have you ever used spider tack while pitching? And this is what ensued. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that. To be honest, um, 
All right, good God. I'm just going to cut it off there. I, it doesn't, once you say, I don't know how to answer that, to be honest, anything as you say feels somewhat irrelevant to me. Chris, what was your reaction to all this? Well, first off, I was shocked he was made available to the media, uh, Mike. That's number one. Number two, my first thought was he better go out there tonight and pitch well because on Thursday he got bombed by Tampa, and that's when this whole thing kind of came to the surface. So you know he wasn't going to go out there and, you know, scuff up the balls prior to a game against Tampa, and they got hit badly in that game. I didn't get out of the fifth, sixth inning. So my first reaction would be tonight against the Twins, he needs to go out there and pitch a big game. That's the first thing. Second thing is, I mean, obviously he did. He, you know, he's one of the millions of pitchers who seem to have figured out a way to be double the hitters by getting these spin rates to situations where, you know, it becomes almost impossible to see the spin of the ball and they swing and miss and, Maybe it contributes to the lack of offense that we've seen in baseball and all the millions of strikeouts. That's what the hitters say, at least. And, you know, Cole, who's been great the last three years, now is going to be under the microscope that maybe he's great for the wrong reason. So let's see him go out there tonight and then in subsequent starts and pitch well, because if he doesn't, people are going to say, ah, now I know he doesn't have his little sticky tack, whatever they call it, and that's why he can't get anybody out. So Cole's under the gun a little bit. So is Trevor Bauer. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people under the gun now in the sport, uh, you know, to go out there and go out there and pitch well. It's funny, uh, the, 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 the slick ball, it's a fine line. With the, you don't want people throwing these balls. They can't get a grip on it, and they're throwing it at people's heads. But you can't go over the line. And it sounds like, it feels like that these pitchers have gone over the line. I'm a little surprised it took MLB so long to get this under control. They put out memos last year. Nobody answered to it. Nobody adhered to their memos. And I don't like myself, Mike. I don't like the idea that we're going to make sure the enforcement is with the, with the umpires. These umpires did a horrific job with enforcing the stepping out of the box routine with hitters. You know, you were supposed to not allow them to step out of the box. They never really followed through on that. And you mean to tell me some summer replacement umpire who's in for a couple of weeks because the big guys are on vacation during the summer, making 150 grand a year, he's going to go out there and throw Bauer out of a game? Check him nine times and throw him out of the game? I mean, I, that to me, I've got to see that uh, to believe it because, you know, some minor league umpire coming in to, may, may, to be a big league umpire throwing a pitcher out of the game because he's scoffing a ball, that I've got to see. So this remains to be seen. This is a fluid situation. But the first thing I'd say, Cole, go out there tonight and shut down the Twins, and also shut down Josh, Josh Donaldson, who went out of his way to signal Cole out there last week. Greedy and Chris Russo with me here on ESPN Radio. So, Chris, let, let, me, let me try and put this into bigger picture perspective, or at least ask you to do so. So, you know, you have this scandal, which is essentially, if you were to describe it directly, it is players blatantly and flagrantly violating a rule the sport never really actively enforced, uh, enforced and changing the game as a result. 20 years ago, steroids were doing basically the same exact thing. Players were flagrantly violating a rule that had never been enforced. Now, the level of outrage isn't going to be the same because the act isn't nearly as outrageous. There's obviously a huge difference between using steroids illegally and putting sticky stuff on your finger. But the, the impact on the game is actually worse on some level because it's made the game less fun to watch rather than more fun to watch. So my question to you is, how outraged should a person be by all of this? Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. You framed it well. Um, I don't think it's as bad as steroids. If people have been doctoring these baseballs forever. Look at Gaylord Perry. This is not the first, Whitey Ford. This is not the first time that these pitchers have looked for an advantage. While the steroid era in the late, you know, in the early 90s, that was sort of the first time somebody had actually gone out there 
and look for a performance enhancer, whether they be Clemens, uh, Bond, Sosa, McGuire. So to me, it's not as bad as that. Uh, I think there is a fine line of, you know, little gamesmanship, which I think we all can live with as a sports fan. And then, of course, when you go over the line, and this time the pitchers have gone over the line, uh, the managers have absolutely no control over this. La Russa didn't have any control of Conseco and McGuire when they basically ballooned in size. Dusty had no control over Bonds when he did the same thing. So how can I expect Brian Snitker to have control over his pitchers? So I would like to see myself, I would like to see some situation where if a pitcher gets caught with this, you're never going to be able to throw him out of a, a suspend him for 10 days because you got to go through the players, the players Association. They're going to appeal all night. It's a waste of time. So what they should do is if the player, if a pitcher does cheat, the manager gets suspended a game. And no pitcher wants to be in a situation where he gets his manager kicked out for a game because he cheated. So that puts a little bit more of a scarlet letter on the pitcher because he gets the manager in trouble. Now, they never do that either, but I think that would be, a, uh, you know, that would not be the worst thing to do. Listen, it's a joke, Mike. You can't, I mean, these spin rates, did you know that if the spin rate at 225, uh, if it's a fastball over the middle of the plate, the players hit like 320, and if the spin rate is more than 225, Reducci told me this, if the spin rate is more than 225, the batting average goes less drops by more than 50 points. So there's obviously something to these spin rates. I think it's fascinating that the Dodgers lead the league in uh, the increased percentage of spin rates. These are the Dodgers who had a lot to say about Houston in 2017, yet they're the ones who have the most issues with spin rates compared to any other team. So the Dodgers then, let me get this straight, they kill Houston for doing what they did, yet they don't care if their pitchers uh, go nuts with spin rates, which seems to be the case. So there's a lot of hypocrisy going on all over the place. This will be fascinating to watch if the powers that be in baseball can get this enforced and how the umpires handle this. I'm going to check these pictures every inning. I mean, this is going to go on forever. So this is going to be an interesting development for the sport in the next couple of months. I don't know why they couldn't do this in spring training. Yes, I know they had a lot of other things to worry about, like getting a season underway with COVID. But, I mean, to do this in middle of June, I mean, very strange. So this bears watching, Michael, next couple of weeks. It really does. That's why it's also so important that people be focused on this right this minute. Because unlike steroids, when you clean steroids out of the game, that is a very gradual process. But this is one that if they really are able to get their arms around this, and I agree with you, it's a complicated thing to do. It won't go from 100 to zero in one day. But but to overstate it or to oversimplify it, you literally could be watching one sport Wednesday and an entirely different sport Thursday. So is there any way to guess? Is there any way to guess, Chris, which teams might be disproportionately impacted by this? Well, I mean, you got to go by the percentage of spin rates. So, you know, the Dodgers and White Sox are two teams that have huge spin rate scenarios. So I think you'd have to keep an eye on that. It's funny, the Reds right now can't get anybody out with their pitching, and Barrow was on the team last year, so you wonder what sort of impact he has. You know, Barrow's got something to, has something to answer to, too. He's got a lot to say, Bauer. So he's got a lot to answer to. And he says, go look at my career. I would never do the spin rates. I mean, Trevor Bauer makes it sound like he's Sandy Koufax. And he's not Sandy Koufax. He had a couple of good years. All right, I guess. I grant you. But last year he had a Cy Young, but who knows? And maybe he did it with balls all over the place. Remember, they looked at a lot of Bauer's balls. 
uh, the baseballs following a start this year, and he got all worked up about it. But you are right. This is going to be fascinating now to see if this increases the offense. And I think you look at the big pitchers. I think Cole's one, Bowers two. I think a lot of these relief pitchers, I think you look at the amount of strikeouts. You know, you and I won't have to chronicle it because there would be a million people on social media and a million baseball guys who do this for a living who will do it every day. So we'll get a pretty good feel of what's going on here in a not-so-distant future. And, again, I think it's funny tonight with Cole. He had a bad start against, the, against, the, uh, against Tampa last week. He got bombed. And you know he didn't fool around that day because he couldn't take the chance. He gets bombed again tonight. People are going to start to say, oh, no wonder Cole won 25 games every year with Houston and the Yankees. He's cheating his rear end off. So a big start for him tonight. We shall see how that uh, comes, down, comes down here this evening in Minnesota. The great Chris Mad Dog Russo with us here on ESPN Radio. Chris, if you have another second, while I have you, I wanted to ask you about one other thing. Because I'm, I'm, for those who don't get a chance to listen to your radio again, Mad Dog Channel there on, on Mad Dog Radio on Sirius XM every single day, Chris with his thoughts on all the events around the world of sports. Um, but the Brooklyn Nets to me are really a really interesting team. I mean, they just humiliated the two a guy who was at that moment the two-time defending league MVP in a game in which they won by 39 points and it wasn't that close, and they did it without James Harden even playing. If the Nets run sort of rampage through this entire postseason and win a championship after, for all intents and purposes, disregarding the regular year, coming together as they have, playing only eight games together during the regular season, what will you come on the air and say the next day? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think the first question about the NBA right now is that can the Nets win a championship without Harden? <laughs> because they very well might, and who knows when he's uh, next going to play. Milwaukee ain't beating them, that's for sure. And here's another one. Before the series started, you thought three-on-three. Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis against Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. You'd give the Nets the edge, but it'd be interesting. Now it's three-on-two. And if I asked you which three would you rather have, the Buck three or the Net two, you'd take the Net two. That's how good Durant and, um, and Kyrie are. I think it's a major problem for the NBA. These players, uh, you know, playing, uh, ganging up and playing with each on the same teams. I think it, it hurts the parity. The Nets blowing everybody out. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, I think it's a major problem. I really do. I'm not knocking Durant. We know how great he is, but he did it once before with Golden State. How about Durant go to a team that's not so good and lead him to a championship? How about doing something like that for a change? So I hate the collaboration aspect of it. Uh, It drives me crazy. I don't think the Nets are going to lose. I think the Nets are by far the best team. I know Donovan Mitchell, and I know Utah shooting a million threes. I've got to see Utah beat the Nets when it counts. The Nets are the best team. Um, if they stay healthy, unless there's another injury, they should win it all. But I think it's bad for the NBA, Mike. I really do. Um, I do. I understand there's been dominant teams in the past, but they were usually put together because good designs, good trades, not because one player said, I want to play with you. You know, Bird didn't play with Magic. You know, Russell didn't decide to go play with Wilt. Uh, you know, Bob Pettit didn't go, to, didn't, go decide, didn't go decide to play with Elgin Baylor. I mean, generally speaking, you're on a team, and I'm not saying it's great, but you're on a team and you built that team from that point on. And I don't like the idea that these guys play on it because it ruins the competition level. Harden, uh, Kyrie, and Durant say, oh, no, now, why go bust my rear end for one extra home game in a postseason in a regular year? We'll play a little bit. Well, you know, we'll make sure we, you know, have a little feel of what's going on in the season. We'll play two-thirds of the year, and then we'll just gather for the postseason and kill everybody. How could that be good for the NBA? Why would you 
you spend a fortune to see an NBA, and it's a fortune, why would you spend a fortune to see an NBA regular season game when, A, you don't know what player is going to play, B, it doesn't mean anything in the long run, all right, the Nets lose the game to Philadelphia and Brooklyn in January. Does it really mean anything? And I think that's the danger that the NBA has put themselves in. These teams can pick and choose of when they want to go out there and perform at a high level, and it's an 82-game regular season, and they can pick and choose all they want postseason. If they do it in the regular season, they pick and choose. You know, I don't get a discount price-wise. I mean, so as a result of that, I think it's turned some people off. The, the, the super-dominant team, that which LeBron started by going to Miami, and good for LeBron, he was a free agent, I don't think is good for the league. I really don't. And I think you'll see, you know, if the Nets kill everybody by, you know, they kill everybody in the next three rounds, and you guys are ABCs looking at a sweep in a final, you tell me how much you like it when the Nets win every game by 40 points. No, I'm you know, with you. The, I, you know, the, did you know that the Islander Bruin game, Islanders Bruins on NBC Sportsnet, did you know in New York that drew $1.5 million and the Nets Brooklyn game on TNT with five or six Hall of Famers? Only did three point one million. Mm. You know why? The Nets were up by fifty points. <laughs> Who watched the second half? Islanders are in a classic. It's hockey, <laughs> and the Islanders are in a classic game. The Islanders, for crying out loud, are in. It's not Rangers and uh, Gretzky. It's the Islanders, <laughs> but they're in a classic game. People get drawn into it, and they're not going to sit there and pay attention to the Nets who lead by a hundred at halftime. It's a major problem, Mike. It really is. I agree. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much for the time. As always, again, Mad Dog Sports Radio, and you see him on the. Baseball Network. It's always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you, Chris Russo. I'll see you. Good job, Mike. Thank you, pal. Appreciate it. Thank you. You too. That's Chris Russo. I, I have always enjoyed him, and I knew his perspective would be good. For those of you around the country who are not intimately familiar with him, among the many things is he hates the Yankees. So I thought he might enjoy the Garrett Cole <clears throat> element of all of that. But we, I think, mean, he's look, he's right. And I, I, I worry. You know, a bunch of notes went around last night. And again, I'm having this crazy week family-wise. So I was only peripherally plugged in relative to what I usually am into all of our planning for the shows today. You know, I, I play an active role, as, in, in, as, as, as you would imagine, in planning the TV show and the radio show every day. And all the talk about the baseball piece. And here's the way I viewed it, Hembo. To see Garrett Cole, a a legit star, a name that even people who don't know the sport that well are aware of, and they're aware of how great he is, sitting up there completely unable to answer the question, that struck me as something everyone is interested in. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Mm. Like, okay, something's going on here. Uh, You're asked a yes or no question, and your response, it takes you five minutes to say the words, I don't know how to answer that. That's obviously terrible. Once we start getting into, well, if the spin rate is this and then the spin rate is that, this is what worries me. Mm. You know, that to me, I don't think I if you're a sport and you're trying to attract people who don't love it like you do. I don't care about exit velocity. Mm. I don't care. Those are things I don't care about. And these spin rates, I understand how important they are. And I understand that baseball needs to do something about them. I want them to. But there is also a part of me that says from a digestible standpoint as a viewer, as a, as a spectator, where these guys are, are, are injecting themselves with illegal steroids in the mm. bathroom, that I get. This guy's using a little bit of sticky substance, and now the ball is rotating 200 miles an hour faster or whatever, 200 RPMs faster, and that is lowering the batting average by 20 points or whatever it is. 
you're going to lose me. And but, that's what I'm worried but about. But it's having the same impact right. on the game. The problem with analytics and spin rate and exit velocity is that they're called analytics. Like p- Politicians do a much better job of this than we do, of taking something that's uninteresting and making it sound interesting or digestible. Analytics is a complicated word. It's, a, it's, a, it's intimidating. But the bottom line, it's very simple. It's harder now than it ever has in the history of baseball to get a hit. And what I'm telling you, what we're telling you, is that one of the primary reasons for it is because pitchers are cheating by using this. So you don't have to be as outraged as you were during the steroid era, but the bottom line of it is very clear. This is impacting the game as much as those did, no question about it. That's a really good bottom line. And unlike, as we just said with Chris, unlike getting steroids out of the game, which is a long, drawn-out, dragged-out process, because even if everyone stops using them on a Tuesday, it doesn't impact the game on Wednesday, this one does. If, if, to be literal, if every pitcher stopped using this tomorrow, mm-hmm. the games this weekend would look different. There would they be more runs wouldn't. scored. There would be there maybe significantly more runs scored this weekend if all pitchers just decided, I'm not doing it anymore. Let's see if that happens, mm. and that might be good for the sport. All right, again, I will be at graduation tomorrow um, sobbing like a small child, and I will be back here in Better Than Ever on Friday talking over all the things that happen on and off the fields of play. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you later. Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.